Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, hello, and hello, producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello, guys. Coming up on today's show, it was the week that millions of people around the world fell in love with TikToker Risa Tisa, and for very good reason. Plus, Tom Sandoval's New York Times profile was a complete disaster. Dakota Johnson's new movie has officially reached so bad it's good status, while JLo's new movie is, well, something we need to unpack together. Then, apparently, Khloe Kardashian has been spending her days facetuning her cat, and we have reason to believe Harry and Meghan's wedding from all those years ago was a tad bit smelly. <laughs> we do. But first... Zara McDonald, how was your week? I had a great week. I know people will be expecting us to talk about Taylor Swift, of which we have. Oh, have we ever. Over like well over 20 minutes in a (laughs) separate episode we've dropped in the feed Mm. this morning on Thursday. So if you want to hear about our experiences of the greatest week of our lives, you can (laughs) find it all there. I said in that episode, and I'll say it here, my sister said to me, I feel so sorry for you that you are doing this before you get married because life doesn't get better from here. I thought, fair enough. I had the night of my life. We have unpacked it, as you said, over in that bonus episode. All the Taylor content is there if you want it, guys. There's our Scandal series. There's the Eras to a Recap. This episode... We'll talk about the other stuff happening yeah. in pop culture. and there's no paywall. It's free for anyone to listen to, so you can listen to it there. I have a recommendation for you today that I love yeah, and I'm please. excited to talk about. It's a piece in the New York Times that dropped last week in celebration of Valentine's Day. It was called A Hundred Small Acts of Love. Did you see this? No. Okay. This piece <laughs> made me cry. Basically, what the New York Times did is they asked their readers to submit ways they show affection day in, day out, all year long. Because, you know, love is much more than Valentine's Day. Oh, no, I'm going to be completely fucked here, aren't I? Yeah, well, I I cry. I pulled out some of my favourites. They had 1,300 responses. They pulled out 100 and wrote them in tiny little sentences. And I wanted to read you some because I thought it was a nice way to start the episode. Okay. Just prepare yourself. I've read these and, oh, God, you're going to sob. I didn't. I tried not to include all, like, the the really (laughs) sad ones. I put eyeliner on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the first one, my husband loves new bars of soap, so when I need to replace mine... I take his and give him the new one, which I thought was sweet. Here's another one. We use electric toothbrushes but only keep one charger out. Each of us puts the other toothbrush onto the charger after we brush our teeth. A small but enduring reminder that our last thought was of each other. No, don't. Oh, God, if you're going here, you're in deep trouble. (laughs) about toothbrushes. Um, I am a teacher in a public school. My husband is retired. Every morning at 6.50 a.m., he takes my work and lunch bags out to the car. Then he warms up the car and pulls it out of the garage for me. (laughs) Oh, my husband brings me a box of fruity Tic Tacs when he stocks the house with groceries every weekend. They are my favourite and I smile every time I find them on the kitchen table. When I thank him, he says, I was thinking of you. (laughs) Fruity Tic Tacs suck, but I'm so happy for that person. Unfortunately... I'm going to cry now oh, no. <laughs> as we go. Today, every day and on Valentine's Day, I will visit my wife of 56 years. No, we are oh, sepa- I don't want you. I know this one. We are separated by her dementia. No. I will tell her what's been going on outside as I spoon feed her in her care home hospital bed. She says thank you when I tell her I love her. We both know she would say more if only she could. No. We had a great life together ever since the second grade. She is slowly leaving. I know that, but we are a pair until then. Oh, God, sorry. No, don't. 
phone because I'm oh, so sad. Oh, God, God. I did actually. That's beautiful. I know. Oh, I did mean to properly God. send you. I need tissues. I really tried it. I really <laughs> I've actually might some. skip a couple oh. of these then. I'll read you one more, a happy one. Oh, Before had... that one, I was going to say to you, Zara, I'm glad you picked the subtle ones because there are some real sad There's some ones really... in there. There's some really. And I love, the... I, to be honest, I love that one. I love the subtle ones as well. My husband does the grocery shopping and he frequently buys me a funny card while he's there. The more obscure, the better. Like, congrats on your retirement. We're both 34. Or have a blessed baptism. We are not religious. I always feel brighter after having received them. I love it. I barely it. listened to that one, but I'm, really <laughs> I'm, nice. I'm desperately trying to mop up my face. I'm so sorry, Michelle, but I can see the tears streaking down your face. <laughs> oh, can I go get a makeup All right, brush? Yeah, we're going to have a little interlude so she makes her makeup. Back in a jiffy. Sorry. <laughs> no. Michelle's out of the studio and the door is open, but I'm going to read you guys this one while she's gone. My precious husband, to whom I was married for 46 glorious years, passed away six years ago, but not a day has gone by since I haven't blown a kiss to the photograph of him that I keep on my bedroom table. Oh my God. Thank God Michelle didn't hear that. Okay. We'll wait for her to come back. Guys, I've got two makeup brushes with me as reinforcements in case they're needed. Don't do it to me again. I'm done. Any more, no more tears for this episode, I don't think. No. I think think we might be tear-free with the stories we've got coming. (laughs) I'm literally getting my period tomorrow. That is the worst possible timing. Okay. But a spectacular story and I really, really recommend anyone reads through it. I sent it to so many people. It filled my cup. It reminds me of how I felt actually reading Love Stories by Trent Dalton, which was Mm. just feeling so full of love. Yeah, that was stunning and sad at the same time. What have you got? How was your week? What are you recommending? Again, same as you, one of the best weeks of my life. Had the best time. I want the listeners to know I have dabbled in reformer Pilates before, but I feel the need to announce that I'm about five years behind the trend and I've now become obsessed with reformer Pilates. I feel like this is like clockwork because I came on the show like two or three years ago and said the same thing, but I felt five years behind. Oh, well, in that case, I'm eight years behind. (laughs) I have been doing reformer Pilates multiple times a week, every week, and every time I'm doing it, I'm like, where was I? What was I doing? Why was my head so deeply buried in the sand? This form of exercise is so superior to other forms of exercise. Oh, I don't know if it's superior, but it's great. It's good to like, I still do, I still do other things, but it's great to have in your wheelhouse. The contraption kind of scares me. Oh, no. Do you not do it, Annabelle? I have done it before, but I'm more of a hot mat girly. Yeah, you are. You are a hot mat girly. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's great. I sometimes also feel like it helps me breathe. (laughs) No, it it helps me relax. It's like the perfect form of self-care and exercise. Anyway, I just wanted to make that announcement. I have two things to recommend. Hit me. First one is Crime Scene on This American Life. It is obviously one of our favourite podcasts, This American Life. Their episode on crime scenes and how every crime scene tells a story is just really fascinating. It also is very, how am I going to word this? It's quite colourful across the episode. You have different kinds of content. In the middle of the episode is actually a fiction piece that's read out by an actor about a young boy who loses his parents. God, don't cry again. What the hell? (laughs) And it's really beautiful. Just even for that fiction piece alone, I really adored that episode. I found it fascinating from a storytelling perspective. It is a little bit gruesome. It speaks to crime scene cleaners and stuff like that. 
If you don't like gruesome content, maybe give it a miss. If you do like crimey stuff, I think you'll love it. My other rec is a very sugary light one, The Weekly 50, guys. Have, oh. we, have you recommended it on the show before? I wanted to recommend it, but then I remember finding something and being so obsessed with it, The Weekly 50 got bumped oh, from no. that week. But then I was doing it again on the weekend with my, my husband, my sister and her partner. And Evelyn and Lockie were loving it. I was like, I need to bring this to the listeners. The Weekly 50, it's a weekly pop culture news current affairs quiz that is Australian and far more geared towards the Gen Zers and the millennials than any other kind of weekly quiz you can find in a newspaper. Yeah, because I've always gone to the, the newspaper quizzes, but truthfully, I feel too stupid for them. Oh. Like really stupid. And then I do the Weekly 50 and I'm like, well, I'm not getting all of them right. I mean, Ollie always ticks that we get them all right. Anyway. <laughs> so There's like another 100%. Another like, that's week. his active love, 100%. But I enjoy it. I feel like I have something to add. And yeah. in other quizzes, I don't always have something to add. I mean, Annabelle, you do trivia once a week. You always feel like you have something to add in a quiz. Yeah. But this quiz once, uh, Shameless was on it. Oh, we were. Remember? Oh, we don't have to mention it. Oh, humble girls. Pish posh. <laughs> that was the week I had sent it to Zara and said, check out question number 25. And then she didn't respond to me for like five hours. She's like, I will. And then didn't respond. I'm like, she's never fucking doing this I quiz. Did, I did the quiz like three days later and I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> I know this one. It's really, really good if you want a little activity. For example, on a weekend away with your mates, if you're with family, the Weekly 50 is a great one and I feel like it doesn't have a bias against young people. Yeah, that's awesome. A very quick announcement before we get into the quick and dirty today. We have launched a brand new series over on our book club and we cannot not mention it because we are very proud of this one, Michelle. We are. It's called The Tastemakers. It is hosted by Gemma Diamond, who we absolutely love. She's been on a few episodes of Everybody Has a Secret with you, Annabelle. Oh, yeah. God, she's good fun. She we is love great Gemma. fun. We love Gemma. It's an interview series with some of the biggest tastemakers in Australia when it comes to culture, food, fashion, you name it. You're kicking it off. Yeah. Your I, first episode. I, I think I say pretty explicitly in my episode that I'm a tastemaker when it comes to pop culture trends and social media. I'm not a tastemaker in many a realm. Don't come to me for a restaurant recommendation. But I would listen to and watch anything you recommend. Most things. Aww. Most I would say 95% of things. What, would, what, what am I not a good tastemaker at? Um, you oh. can expose me. Restaurants. No, no, no. No, I would just say that time you recommended while you were sleeping and then oh. I watched a movie. <laughs> and that's why I said 95% of things I love. She's going <laughs> to cry again. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I love you. <laughs> um, no, the tastemakers is so amazing. Michelle is is kicking it off with our very first episode. And it is obviously rooted in reading. You know, a lot mm. of people are tastemakers in reading. You are a tastemaker in reading as well. But it's just this beautiful sort of collection of lifestyle, career, as you said, food. We've got some amazing people on there. So head to our book club feed and get that one because we're really excited about it. It's also living on Instagram as well. And there are some beautiful videos that our video editor Charlotte has put together. Yeah, we're so excited about this one. We think you guys are going to love it. I miss doing interview content more. So we're really doing a lot of interview content over on the Shameless Book Club. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the quick and dirty. As oh. always, we bring you the top five or six or seven, maybe today, <laughs> scrolling down my run sheet, stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Tearsy. <laughs> no, if the shoe fits. <laughs> Andrews, what have you got Actually, for me? if the crown fits. Oh, <laughs> nice. My first story. How Tom Sandoval became the most hated man in America. That is from the New York Times. New York Times writer Irina Alexander has profiled Tom from Vanderpump Rules. He is, of course, the man we spoke about a lot 
2023, he was at the heart of Scandal, the reality TV drama that saw him cheat on his partner of a decade, Ariana Maddox, with her friend and their co-star, Rachel slash Raquel Levis. We all remember the story. Now, this profile has only just been published as we're recording and it is starting to make waves on socials and I'm not a Vanderpump Rules fan. Really? Uh, <laughs> but I wanted people to know that if you're not a Vanderpump Rules fan, you should read this profile. Oh. It is, it's very fascinating, Mish. I completely agree. We need to tell you that when this interview occurred between Irina Alexander and Tom Sandoval, there were two other people in the room. One of them was Tom's new assistant, Miles. The other was his new 23-year-old publicist, Riley. Yes. Now, I think Riley becomes a key figure in this story because she was, you know, positioned at the very start of the story as the crisis PR expert in the room and the journalist, Irina, is like, you know, that never makes for an easy interview for a journo. However, once she started to realise that Riley was once fanatical about Vanderpump Rules and at 23 doesn't have a huge career in crisis PR and a whole lot of experience Mm. under her belt realized that perhaps it wasn't exactly the right person to be in the room with Tom while this interview was taking place. Yeah because Tom gave many a quote that was beyond clunky I would say I don't even know what adjective to put there but he is giving some very poor quotes. It started off with This, I feel like I got more hate than Danny Masterson and he's a convicted rapist. Yeah. Later in the piece, we get this and we're going to read it to you exactly how it is in the article. So this will be Tom Sandoval's quotes interspersed with Irina Alexander's writing. I asked Sandoval why he thought the scandal got so big. I'm not a pop culture historian, really, he said, but I witnessed the OJ Simpson thing and George Floyd and all these big things, which is really weird to compare this to that I think. But do you think in a weird way it's a little bit the same? Okay. Look, the OJ Simpson comparison, maybe we're talking about pop culture slightly there, but we're talking about a murder trial. We're also talking about a We're also talking about two black black men. Yeah. Even referring to George Floyd as a pop culture story. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's deeply bizarre. I imagine when Arena was told this quote, I mean, she wrote in the story that she was looked straight over to the publicist, Riley, who was just typing furiously on her phone. Like no one intervened. There wasn't anyone else in the room to be like, um. Like what just happened? The piece, so Irene's writing continues. I think I knew what he meant. He was trying to express the oddity of becoming the symbolic centre of a nationwide discussion and a major news story. What he communicated instead was something more honest, which is how much the experience has made him lose perspective. Irina went on, he sighed and drained his teacup. Then he got up, put on some upbeat music and went upstairs to get ready for a night out. Sometimes he says too much, Riley said, and the following day he forgets what he says. Then she went upstairs to have a quick word with him. The next day, I was supposed to attend the taping of one of Sandoval's confessional interviews for the show. I was about to get in my car when I received a text from his publicist, Riley's boss. He'd rather you don't attend today, it read. He's not feeling the best. The day after that, a Bravo publicist rang me late on a Friday. Some of what Sandoval said had gotten back to Bravo and everyone was concerned. What was it that he said about OJ Simpson and George Floyd exactly? Maybe Sandoval wasn't ready for this. The Bravo publicist asked if I really needed to see him again. Could the network facilitate an interview with one of the show's other stars instead? Yeah. 
Now, when the interviewer actually did meet up with Tom Sandoval two weeks later, he was flagged by an NBC exec and a Bravo publicist and had this to say, it's the first time I've ever been single as a celebrity. I'm not saying I'm a favourite celebrity, but still just having some notoriety and being single, it's a cool muscle to flex. (laughs) I do not understand this man at all. I don't understand Bravo. Like, so many layers to this, right? Why did Bravo tick off him sitting down with the New York Times. This is not some like, not to disrespect like Glamour Magazine or Elle or anything like that, but those aren't quite as hard hitting as a New York Times but journalist. I, I think if you're doing a mea culpa, which this was meant to be, I think we need to remember that this was his big profile to come back into the limelight. You have to do it with one of the most legitimate publications in the US. You have to. Yeah. I just think maybe they thought he'd be able to turn it on more than he did or be able to kind of put a mask on more than he was able to when mm. in truth who he is kind of came to the fore very quickly. It's kind of crazy to me how much he has victimised himself. I understand elements of this would have been very hard. I get that. It's never easy to cop it publicly and to cop it to the level he has. But to bring George Floyd's name into the conversation is a level of victimhood from Tom Sandoval that like I cannot comprehend or make any excuse for. Our second story, woman's divorce from pathological liar inspires 50 part who the fuck did I marry series that's taking over TikTok. That is from Complex Magazine. It's like I got home from work one day and my TikTok feed had just decided to be one thing and one thing only. It was Risa Tisa. Annabelle Lee, what's your familiarity with this Um, I loaded a small snippet onto the road and that's probably all I know. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, as your captain of binge-watching content for this show, I volunteered myself as tribute. I have consumed seven and a half hours of content for the listeners of this show. I did do it on 2x speed. So I spent about three hours and 15 minutes of my life watching this. So the whole story was seven and a half hours. Yes. It's 50 parts on TikTok. Many of those parts are 10 minutes long. Are people watching this on their TVs? Like it gets to the point, it's like how long can you stare at your screen? Where did I watch this? I watched it on my laptop for a bit, on my phone. I watched it doing housework. She's my best friend now. Like (laughs) Risa Tisa, I actually won't hear a bad word about her anymore. Now that I've finished it, I feel like I'm actually part of a pretty cool club. And could it have been condensed or was every detail riveting? We'll get there. (laughs) We'll get there. All right. Before we get there, let's play you a snippet of not episode. This actually isn't part one. This is the prelude, the interlude, okay. before part one. So actually I watched 51 parts. So episode zero, shall episode we? Episode zero. <laughs> I'm going to play you a snippet so we're all on the same page as to exactly what we're doing here. You're here for part of the new series that I'm calling Who the Fuck Did I Marry? I'm going to create this playlist series um, and I'm going to tell the story of how I met, dated, married and divorced a real pathological liar all right so i'm already in at risa tisa met a guy online who she calls legion throughout the series in march 2020 it was just pre-covid so they were talking online her car broke down one day she had an issue with a tire and she messaged him and asked him to come help her he did that's how they met and he essentially saved the day with the deflated tire they went on a date they very quickly fell in love. Within a couple of months of meeting, they were living together 
and pregnant, and then shortly after that engaged, she did lose that pregnancy. So I just want to make that clear if people are wondering what happened there. What you need to know is that this is not just a TikTok series. This could have been a novel. It could have been a television show. It could have been a movie. At the time of recording, it has maybe over a million dedicated fans. Like every video up to part 50 has over a million views. So we've got a, I'm one of them and I'm so fucking glad that I'm here. Amongst its fans, we are calling it either Legion of Lies. We are calling it. <laughs> or Surviving Legion, okay. whatever you guys want to call it. I like it. Legion of Lies, yeah, if the, I'm honest, but I appreciate really I don't have as much skin in the game. <laughs> Around part 25, I thought Legion of Lies was the name. Now that I've finished the series, I think Surviving Legion. Right. Fair enough. We're a bit Might behind. Be. Yeah. We will take your lead. <laughs> also, <laughs> fearless leader. <laughs> no, that's Risa Tisa, not me. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm a fearless, leader. <laughs> I'm a dedicated disciple. Sorry, of course. Okay. So also worth noting, Risa Tisa worked in law enforcement at the time of this relationship. So I know what I'm about to tell everyone. I wonder if some people will go, oh, come on. Like, how did she not see the signs? I think in Risa Tisa's defense, she acknowledges that she ignored many signs because she was in love. Also, I just feel like this was in COVID time. And the way life was functioning allowed Legion to behave in certain ways that went unchecked for too long. Do we need a spoiler alert for anyone who might be on part 21? Oh. Well, I'm, this is the thing, right? I want Risa Tisa to make all of the money out of this that she can. So I want to give you guys details to tell you about this, but I don't, I'm like in two minds. Don't tell us the whole story. I then. won't tell you. The, I, I couldn't possibly. Oh, I'd sorry. be here for seven and a half <laughs> no, hours. She couldn't possibly. <laughs> I'm spending like, I'm spending like five minutes on something that is definitely. <laughs> disgust. How dare you ask me to do that? Also, I just never Silly do that to girl. my fearless leader. So I'm going to give you a synopsis and I will leave the rest to Risa Tisa. If you're finding this interesting, please go watch her stuff. Go support her because she deserves it. All right. So the first major red flag in Risa Tisa dating Legion came a month or two into them dating when he decided he was going to buy them a house. He essentially lied to her and the real estate agent and all these other people and said he had made an offer on this house and they had purchased the house, that it was under contract and they were about to move into it until all of a sudden like moving day comes and it turns out they don't own this house. He never made an offer. He didn't even provide proof of funds, which anyone who's watched will know exactly what I mean when I say that. Now, that's when she first started getting her spidey senses being like, mm, what's going on here? Remember though, at this time she was pregnant. So I don't think she was in a mental place to go, I don't trust this guy. She was going, I'm having a baby with this guy. I'm going to ignore the red flags that are kind of flapping in the wind right now. Fair. This man told her that he had gained about $700,000 of liquid cash which he kept in a variety of offshore and local bank accounts. Those are those sexy words I love to yeah. hear, offshore bank accounts. <laughs> and he said he acquired this by playing arena football. Uh, yes, I think arena football has been trending on Google because so many people are like, what the fuck is that? He loved making cash offers on homes over their two-year relationship and then pulling out. He also loved taking Risa Tisa to car dealerships, having her drive around cars, saying he had bought the car and then the car never arriving at home. Her dream car is a uh, navy blue BMW with cognac interior. Do you think that the legions of fans <laughs> will buy her this car? Yes. <gasps> oh. That would be quite nice. Yes. 
I'm going to come back to that. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. Across the 50 episodes, we have learned that this man spun a whole new reality for himself. He faked bank statements. He faked, and I think this is the clincher, daily 45-minute phone calls with his brother, in inverted commas, in front of his wife when he was never on the phone at all. So we're talking about, like, imagine, Annabelle, we live together every morning. You see me on the phone speaking into my phone for 45 minutes on the phone to my sibling. And actually, you then find out I've been doing that for over a year when that brother hasn't spoken to me since 2015. Oh. I'm speaking on the phone to no one. Wow. So he has faked everything you possibly could, emails, bank statements, a job, everything. But the interesting thing to me is it's all kind of concocting a pretty average life. Like, sure, he's saying he's got $700,000 in the bank. That is obscene compared to most people's wealth. But he's not going to the ends of the earth trying to say he lives this grandiose existence. He's concocting a life that isn't that detached from like what's actually feasible. Yeah, how bizarre. Yeah. He fakes trips to London. He fakes killing off a few family members. Oh, they always do that. Always. That. It's always thrown in. And then as time goes on, he becomes increasingly controlling and manipulative. As the lies stacked up, Risa Tisa got her very best detective skills on. She ended up doing background checks on him and unraveling a lot of the lies. And I would say the last half of this series concerns itself with how she looked into the lies, how she, you know, went into courthouses and got access to documents, how she found a brother who hadn't spoken to him for almost a decade, how she really kind of chased these leads. She then ends up breaking up with him on his birthday and her oh, retelling oh, of how oh. she does that is quite iconic. The detail is insane. Like originally, I think I actually texted you, Zara, and said, look, it is kind of reminding me of storytelling where you're hearing someone tell a story and they do this thing where they go, and then I pulled into a Celtics. Was it a Celtics or was it a Shell? I can't remember. And then I talked to a guy named Tom or was it Mike? Hmm, might have been Gerald. And you're watching it going, that doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, call him whatever you wanted to call him. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Like sometimes she'll go, anyway... This is like in Georgeville. If you're not familiar with the outline of Georgeville, it's 15 minutes away from blah, 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 and it's got this. I'm like, okay, recent, I love you so much, but can we get back to the point? And I think as the series went, she did that more and more. I do know a stunning amount of detail about these people. I know that he liked to wear dark navy blue cargo pants to work. I know like the layout of every single home they visited. I know everything there is to know about this story. I love this. Is there any grand point to his deception? You don't have to spoil it, but Mm. like, was there? She believes that he got off, like even in a sexual way, on misleading people and witnessing people's excitement about things that they were never going to get. So she was- This is awful. Horrific. And I think this is where my love of Risa Tisa- stems from where it really lives. She, I think, has been teaching a lot of women what to do when they come across a pathological liar. Yeah. I think that's where the community has been built. She kept audio diaries of the entire relationship. As soon as she started thinking something was wrong, she recorded audio diaries for herself, kept them in like a Google Drive, and then would consult back to them. Because I think what these gaslighters do is convince you that didn't happen, that wasn't said, it was said in a different tone. But she had the proof for herself and I think that gave her the self-belief that she could get out of this. The commenters not only have loved her points like that about keeping audio diaries, we have in-jokes together. It felt like we all watched something together. We watched it unfold. I feel 
Like, I've just met a million new best friends. And has she gained a heap of followers from this? Over a million. Amazing. Over a million in the matter of days. And back to the BMW, is she getting the car? So people have calculated how much money she would have made if she's enabled the TikTok creator fund on her account, which you can do in the US. You can't do it here in Australia. People believe she's already made close to a million dollars from this already. Yep. And so we all want the BMW for her. People are saying she's their new Shonda Rhimes. People are obsessed. I and I am it. one of them. Risa Tisa, this one goes to you. <laughs> but first, dedicated to Risa Tisa. A word from today's sponsor. Our third story, Dakota Johnson hasn't watched Madam Web, pokes fun at Gen Z co-stars. That is from the Washington Post. Gen Z. Gen Z. Gen Z. Either or. A quick disclaimer before we jump into this one. We have done some ads for Madam Web on Shameless. This is not sponsored, this segment. We just talk about everything on this show. Yeah, for sure. This analysis is entirely our own. Before we speak about what's happening with Dakota Johnson right now, Let's talk about The Curious Place, the new Madam Web movie, starring Dakota, Sydney Sweeney, Emma Roberts and Adam Scott has found itself in. First of all, there's a bit of confusion out there. If you're wondering, is this the new Marvel movie? The answer is kinda. Here's how The Washington Post reported it. Madam Web is not a Disney Marvel movie, but a Sony Marvel movie. The backstory on Sony Marvel movies could fill an entire newspaper, but here's what's essential to know. They take place in Sony's Spider-Man universe, which is full of fringe characters from Spider-Man lore. Sony loaned Spider-Man as a character to Marvel Studios for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so Sony makes movies about characters on the sideline like Madam Web. That's why I don't think they even had permission to have Spider-Man in this film. Yes, exactly right. And that's why it kind of is being told as like this standalone story and that's kind of the narrative that's being pushed. The commentary about this film has been so fascinating. Mm. I mean, first things first, people are back at the movies. So people are talking about film. Secondly, people are considering this film so bad that it's almost good. I've seen tweets where people are like, go with your friends to see this. There is no other way to experience it. Yeah, this is like a unifying moment for people when it comes to this film. It's trending on socials and I want to give an example of what we've found. We found one tweet from at Marquise Honey with over 21,000 likes that read, Madam Web being so bad that it's actually getting people to the theatre and becoming a successful cult classic is my Roman Empire. (laughs) I love that so much. Now, shout out to the TikTok edits of the product placements from Dakota Johnson casually drinking a Pepsi at a barbecue, as we all do, to there being a Pepsi on the table at Emma Roberts' character's baby shower or one of the biggest scenes of the movie taking place on a 50-foot Pepsi billboard. (laughs) Pepsi were involved. (laughs) Pepsi were involved. One of my favourite comments on a TikTok review was, the real Madam Web is the friends we made along the way with 36,000 likes. Another wrote, wow, that's so disappointing. Now I definitely have to watch it. (laughs) Also, the Google reviews are being flooded with tongue-in-cheek five-star raves. I want to read you one that's currently going like viral in Google reviews. Madam Web may be the greatest piece of fictional media ever created. There is no point for any other film, TV show, cartoon or anime to be created as they will pale in comparison to the excellence of Madam (laughs) Web. (laughs) I love the internet at times like this. That's the thing. Sometimes I hate the internet and sometimes I love the internet. And at the moment, I love it. Now, that's the film. The other thing we need to talk about is, of course, Dakota Johnson and her press junket at the moment. I mean... It does feel like, and I don't know how much you guys have watched of her 
doing interviews on this press junket, mm. but I can't work out if she's trying to distance herself from the film or her castmates or the whole shebang. I mean, she did tell one interviewer that there were drastic changes to the storyline after she signed on as star. <laughs> and when she said it, she went, drastic changes. And as we know, Dakota Johnson has been adored for years as like the straight talking, no bullshit celebrity mm. that will tell you what you want to know, right? And she'll also kind of confuse you. We can't forget that AD house tour where she says she loves limes and then said later she doesn't like limes. She's allergic to limes. Yeah, and then we, of course, can't forget when she told Ellen that Ellen was invited to her birthday party and mm -hmm. that whole thing. There are compilations of her being iconic doing the rounds for a long time now. Mm. I wonder, though, if either people have less patience for it in this movie or it just feels like it's hitting fever pitch and suddenly the tone is starting to change. Yeah. Well, there's been a couple of clips from the press junket that have gone viral on TikTok and Twitter, and it's just interesting to kind of observe. The first, we're going to actually play you a snippet from this, is when Dakota was speaking about her three younger female co-stars on Seth Meyers' late night show. How did you actually like your Gen Z cast uh, members, your co-stars? I love them. Yeah. And they annoy me. Yeah. <laughs> they annoy and you on a them. generational level, like how they're experiencing life. Of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's something, and that, when, and, did and you feel, when did you feel the oldest? Uh, all, all the time. Yeah. Like every second. Then, in another interview about her co-stars, Dakota said this, the three of them got along really well and they became really close and I mostly felt like an outsider, which tracks. So you've got Dakota saying that. And then Zara, those three younger female co-stars, Sydney Sweeney, Isabella Merced and Celeste O'Connor, spoke to MTV and said their own interesting quotes. Yeah, it's really interesting. I wonder if people have seen this on TikTok. But at one point in their interview, the three women are kind of talking about their relationship with Dakota Johnson. And I want to make it clear, their tone is very friendly and jovial and happy. And we would play you guys a snippet to get the tone, but it's covered with music and it's yeah. really hard to make sense of. Yeah, so they're kind of saying, yeah, Dakota definitely left me on red. Dakota doesn't reply to me. And someone else said, no, never. It's been two years. I've been left on red for two years. Then they said and they turned to each other, oh, like, but we don't leave each other on red. Yeah. So it's like this big kind of joke. But I'm sitting watching it all unfold and I'm like, why are you guys joking about this? Because people will infer that there's greater meaning here. I mean, mm. to even say that they're annoying. We're so used to actors and actresses come out and say, oh, my God, I love my co-stars. We're a family on set. Like, we're so tight. And even though you know it's likely, like, not 100% true, it's mm. just what you're used to hearing, why you would go against that narrative is a little beyond me, but I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, some people are like, oh, I really love this from Dakota Johnson. She's really leaning into, like, we're co-workers, not a family, and that's refreshing. Other people are saying these quotes come across weirdly, like, was there tension on set? I don't know. I find it fascinating because I am not sure I'd love it if I was, say, a Sydney Sweeney or any of the younger co-stars. It just has a weird tone to me. The like the Seth thing. Meyers thing, the, that interview in particular had a weird tone. And I do really love Dakota Johnson. It almost reminds me very, very, very slightly, I want to make this clear, of Joe Coy at the Golden Globes earlier. Blaming things being like, oh, it's on my writers. Like that joke was by my writers. Yeah. There's a slight level of distancing from Dakota Johnson to say, I really don't give a shit about this movie. Like a lot of people are saying it's almost reminding them of Robert Pattinson when he was doing the Twilight press junket. There's that, but then there's the like the co-star element that kind of maybe feels like saying, 
I'm not part of this movie. I'm not even part of them. They're a trio and I'm nothing to do with it. And kind of leaving them on the sinking ship a little bit Mm. instead of being unified with quite young women in the industry that might be nice to wrap your arm around. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think some people could say, oh, is it deeping it too much? Oh, always. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to the show, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But I agree with you to some level for sure. I think there's something to that. And I also agree with you that if I was her young co-star, even if I knew she was joking and I knew she loved me, I would be annoyed if you joked about me being annoying because I would be nervous about how people would anticipate that. For example, if you two ever did an an interview about me, right, and said, we love her, but fuck, she's annoying. Mm. I'd be like, what are you doing? It's different when they're not in the room and they're not in on the joke. Exactly. And I think if you put yourself at the center of it, you can appreciate why it's coming off a little bit offbeat. I mean, if anything, though, her press junkets generating more publicity for the film. Yeah. It's like, is this the best tactic? If you want to distance yourself from something, I mean, it's kind of iconic and kind of flopping at the same time. So maybe the iconic status is starting to tilt away from the flop. I'm just so intrigued about what our listeners think about this on Your Say Friday, because I, I definitely can sense a slight tone changing, not heaps, but I think people aren't responding to this perhaps in the way she thought they would. People are pausing me like, mm. and I want to say as well, Sydney Sweeney will be fine. I feel more for Isabella Merced and Celeste O'Connor, who are burgeoning stars and haven't quite made it yet, to maybe be distanced from their, their big star lead of the film. I don't know. I feel a little bit clunky about that. Our fourth story, Jennifer Lopez's new film about herself is a strange, sexy mess, but there's a method to the madness. That is from The Guardian. Guys, lots to talk about in J-Lo land. Her new album, This Is Me Now, (laughs) is out. It's obviously billed as a follow-up to her 2002 album, This Is Me Then. Is it definitely This Is Me Then? It shouldn't be This Was Me Then? Or is it saying This Is Me Then? (laughs) (laughs) No, because there's an ellipsis between me and then. This Is Me then. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I've actually never spent time thinking about it, but now I am. Now, obviously, This Is Me Then was released in 2002, and it was sort of released around the time that her and Ben Affleck first got together. Mm. That's why there's a follow-up now. We've spoken about it a little bit. She hasn't just released an album, though. Now there is a movie, This Is Me Now, A Love Story. For what it's worth, there will next week be a documentary about the making of the album and the the film. Yeah. And that's called The Greatest Love Story Never Told. So there's an album, movie, documentary. Oh. And she's funded it all. Well, funded the film herself, which I'll get to. Now, according to the trailer of this film, if you're wondering what is the film we're talking about, this is how it's described by the movie itself. Jennifer has created a narrative-driven cinematic odyssey steeped in mythological storytelling and personal healing. Dropping in tandem with her first studio album in a decade, this genre-bending Amazon original showcases her journey to love through her own eyes. Now, I watched this. You watched this, Michelle. Did a lot of watching this week. sure did. Now, I don't know what that description means, but I wasn't sure it described the thing I saw. Now... I've got to say, I watched the first nine minutes of this. The movie goes for about an hour. It's like a musical movie. And in the first nine minutes, I was turning to you guys saying, I actually feel like an idiot. I cannot fathom what is going on. Like, I'm so confused. And then after nine minutes was up, I realised that's because it was all a dream. And then she wakes up and she said, I've been having dreams. Sorry to spoil. Even knowing that, though, I am slightly, in fact, very confused. I am in two minds about this. Part of me fucking loved. I agree. This is me now. I was so impressed by the 
the amount of money spent on this and then hearing you say, Zara, that she's spent her own money to create it, I am blown away. Like, this was the production standard of a Marvel film to me. I I was oh. about to say, I agree. Um, I've I, watched zero. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we want to go down that path. She spent $20 million of her own money making the film because her what? financing fell through. Yeah. Now, throughout the movie, I need to explain a few more things because there is a zodiological council mm-hmm. that kind of operates up in the clouds who act as like her gods who try from above to help J-Lo, who's <laughs> playing J-Lo, find love. Now, do you know who was on this council? Because this blew my mind. When this scene came up, I was like, what? She was able to get Jane Fonda, Post Malone, Sofia Vergara, Trevor oh. Noah, Kiki Palmer, Kim Petras, Jay Shetty, plus so many more. To be part of just this council. Just to be part of the council. It was a stacked Council. Post Malone. I'm speechless. Sorry, Jane Fonda. <laughs> I know. Well, this is the thing, right? The whole thing's so whack. She goes to Love Addicts Anonymous. She marries three people in the same wedding. I can't work out if I love this or can't love it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Now, there's a really interesting piece in Variety. There's a profile with JLo that I actually recommended in our rec wrap last week. And there's lots of back and forth as to why JLo decided to do this movie and Mm. why it was really important to her and in that piece it actually opened with how Jane Fonda didn't want to be a part of it when she got the call. Now this is how the piece read. Jane Fonda had her doubts so before deciding she talked to Benny Medina, Jennifer Lopez's longtime manager, expressing skepticism about any project that seemed to excessively celebrate the Affleck Lopez reunification. Now, that Variety piece also quotes the documentary, which is out next week, as I said, where Jane Fonda says to J-Lo, I want you to know that I don't entirely know why, but I feel invested in you and Ben and I want this to work. However, this is my concern. It feels too much like you're trying to prove something instead of just Mm. living it. You know, every other photograph is the two of you kissing and the two of you hugging. Wow. And so a lot of this is about J-Lo's journey to finding love. And I guess the conclusion is that ostensibly she's where she wants to be needs to be and that's with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck himself had a cameo in this movie. Mm. I had to Google who he was because I didn't even recognise him. Oh, you're kidding. I did not recognise him. He had like a nose prosthetic and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, look, I don't think this album's getting a whole lot of hype. It's not a great album. It's interspersed through the movie. As I said, it's a musical movie. But I do think it's smart to do the movie and the documentary because you bet now I'm going to watch the documentary. Well, that's the thing and I actually... I I think I would have really, really liked the movie. I will give it a pass. I think I'd give it a 7 out of 10. What let it down was the music. And I actually wonder if they spent all this time thinking about the $20 million film and the documentary around it the singles themselves every time they played I was like can we get back to the Zodiological yeah. Council oh so the songs from the album are playing it's, a, it's like movie. a visual album oh, but it's a movie it goes for over an hour that's really smart JLo it's yeah, smart like it. it's smart but then you listen to them and you're like can we skip this song and get back to the story <laughs> our fifth story fans have accused Khloe Kardashian of face tuning a cat in a recent Instagram post that is from Pedestrian just a quick one here guys another Kardashian Photoshop drama this time on a feline Yeah. now in case you missed it for Valentine's Valentine's Day, Khloe Kardashian uploaded some photos to Instagram. One of those photos was of her Russian blue cat called Grey Kitty, an inspired name if I've ever heard one. <laughs> now, the cat was wearing a pink collar. Details are important. Fans noticed, though, that when the pet Grey Kitty was <laughs> uploaded to Instagram, Grey Kitty's features were slightly or appeared slightly enhanced. Great lighting on Grey Kitty. Yeah, well, that's it. Grey Kitty's eyes were looking very green. Grey Kitty's mouth 
looked like it was curving upwards in a near perfect smile. <laughs> and people were not sure about this. Grey Kitty's butt looked perfect. Yeah. <laughs> just, just juicy. <laughs> now, Pedestrian actually wrote a good piece on this and they pointed to a Reddit thread that's gone off with thousands of comments with people speculating if this cat has been photoshopped or not. Now, some say because Grey Kitty's whiskers aren't visible, the photo must be photoshopped. Well, they'd get all bendy. Reveal her, True. reveal her photoshop. True. However, for Ooh. balance, others say Grey Kitty is a beautiful cat, a Russian <laughs> blue cat, and doesn't need to be edited, and that's just what a Russian blue cat looks like. Why isn't oh. it called Blue Kitty? Russian blue cat, that would be cool. Because the cat itself is grey. Oh, okay. It's a grey cat. <laughs> this is a riveting segment. Do, do we? Okay, final verdict. Annabelle, given you don't like to say it, you don't get a say. My, my question is, do you care? <laughs> I care Wait, slightly. About the story in the spirit of deeping things. People are saying if they're photoshopping their cats, what hope do we have? Mm. Anything to that? They Photoshop their kids. Remember yeah. the time everyone exposed them for Photoshopping True and North into a photo together when it should have been True in Chicago? Do you remember or that North time? Or North in Chicago? Do you remember that time we got slammed <laughs> for saying that Northwest didn't paint the painting? Oh, and yeah. then Tracy Romulus ah. commented saying on our post saying that North did paint the painting. We don't give that enough answer. <laughs> that should have been the segment. And my sixth and final story, Suits as Rick Hoffman reveals the smelly reason for his viral moment at Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's wedding. That is from People. Oh, Photoshop cats and smelly weddings. Yeah. Rick Hoffman, who played Lewis Litt on Suits, has appeared on the podcast Chicks in the Office to explain the viral meme of him at Meghan Markle's wedding. Do we know the meme in question? Yes, Annabelle. No, who's surprised? That's on brand. That is so deeply on brand. Strong episode from you today, Belle. A lot of no's coming from this side of the room. Do you want to maybe Google? Uh, Yes, I Lewis Litt. Lewis, no, sorry, not Not Lewis Lewis Litt. Litt. His name is Rick Rick Hoffman. Hoffman. Rick Hoffman, Meghan Meghan Markle wedding. The listeners can Google alongside you. Essentially, he's screwing his face up in a manner that suggests. He has sniffed an odour. Oh, he's just unhappy. Now, here's how he explained that moment and how it came to be. If you type in my name on Google, you see my face making that awful face. Uh, Yeah, okay, yes. Because I like to mess around with Sarah constantly. So I I was doing something ridiculous. I don't know what I was doing. But I was like, isn't this exciting? This is so great. Oh, my God, we're at the Royal. Like, doing something. And she goes like this. Cut it out right now. Cut it out. You're acting like an idiot. There are cameras everywhere. (laughs) Behave. And I was like, what is your... Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you get a hold of yourself Lighten up. and go do your ridiculousness over there? I'm going to sit over here. <laughs> and then as time goes on, I'm starting to smell something really terrible and foul. And I'm very sensitive when it comes to that. Right. So, so that's that. Now, Rick says he is very sensitive when it comes to bad smelling things. Like <laughs> he bills himself as extra sensitive as if the rest of us couldn't possibly <laughs> smell the kinds of things that he does. He's a super smeller. Yes, that's what he says. And he says he started to cover his face and smell his own coconut vanilla moisturiser <laughs> on his hands to try and mask the smell, and it didn't work. He also said he didn't want anyone to think that he was the smelly one because he is so particular when it comes to hygiene. <laughs> so he started asking around, can anyone else smell that? Which <laughs> Oh, no, rookie mistake. <laughs> you can't that do that. Much, it is, the lady you, doth protest yes, too much. <laughs> it is the first thing you do to make it look like it was yeah. you. Sorry. <laughs> he also randomly went on this tangent at the end where he said, 
Megan knew out of most of the cast that he had an issue with other people's hygiene. And he said that she would always laugh with him because he was so sensitive about it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't brought the strongest last two stories <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> I was gonna. I was, in my brain, I was like, "How to how to pick this up? It's not our strongest ending to a Shamus episode ever." I was gonna bring in the fact that Annabelle Lee has an inferior sense oh, of smell. I was gonna say I'm the opposite of Rick. Yeah, my man Rick. I can't smell a thing, so I would have been. I often fear that I smell and people aren't saying anything. <laughs> so, you know the way to get around that? Just roll around and say, "Can anyone smell that?" <laughs> According to Rick Hartman. Foolproof. That's all we've got for you. I'm sorry. Guys, please tune in next week. Yeah, we'll be back next week. And uh, a big thank you, as always, to our audio editor, Annabelle Lee, who's sitting to my right. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, that's all, guys. Support the show. Support us. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, sounds coming from you. <laughs>